0: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at WR Hickey and other craft
1: beer retailers. And welcome into the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. Before we get started, quick reminder our friends at New Trail Brewing Company. They brew their beer right here in central Pennsylvania and deliver fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. Your biggest dilemma is to be, which of their many beers to select? I'm going to help you out. Here's another recommendation for you. Try their Broken Heels Hazy IPA. Trust me on this one. Go to your retailer, ask for it by name. That's Broken Heels Hazy IPA. It's probably their most popular IPA all right T Frank you ready to talk some Penn State versus Ohio State
2: yeah uh, as much as so I don't so a lot of times I have a good conclusion drawn from these games um, that is interesting and unique and and really when you come down to this I I come out of I'm still trying to finish up my uh, some of the things as we're recording here my thoughts on the matter and it's like wow you know those four turnovers man that's a killer (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it?
1: Well, yeah. let, let's let's start with that, T, Frank. The four turnovers, and I noticed uh, Sean Clifford's PFF grade for the game was actually pretty high. Um, you know, it's that terrible. Other than that, yeah, it appeared he played a pretty good game. But I guess the question becomes, he has to own the four turnovers. There's no other way to put it. He has to own them. But I guess my first question is, just how much responsibility is on him for those four turnovers?
2: Jim, I hate this because no one cares. This, this is—you're asking me to give honest, even-handed analysis, and uh, my conclusion is Sean Clifford is responsible for one of them. But that's going to get you shouted at in public. And I'm not here to take strays for Sean Clifford. Like, that's not what I want to be doing with my week. I've already set myself up for that, you know, just by the nature of what I do. But yeah, okay, so let's, let's break this down. This is how I looked at the first one. Um, you can blame him for not having different arm angles to throw the ball or not pump faking or not doing other things and just catching and throwing the football. Okay, so the batted ball is on him. Anything beyond a batted ball is random luck. Because one of them, one of the batted balls that happened in that game, he caught. Like, it came back to him, and he caught it for an own completion. Uh, the other one got volleyball to the other side of the, the formation, and Zach Harrison caught it on a second attempt. So there's a bit of randomness and bad luck there. Uh, which is set up by the batted ball, which you can put on Clifford, and if you're feeling malicious you can you can do that. If it's a quarterback you like, you're going to say, ah, that's bad luck. The second one is entirely on him. It's a it's a zone drop. It's eight defenders in coverage. He's staring at the read he's supposed to make, and uh, he throws the ball directly to the guy. So that's on him. That's 100% on him. A strip sack, when he's loading up to throw the football, and it's behind him, I don't know how you put that on the quarterback. Again, I don't know how you put that on the quarterback when in any other area of life when you're watching football and you see the quarterback who stripped mid throw that's not on the quarterback and then finally I released a, a tweet yesterday of the final one um Bryce Effner's trying to cut to Lamoliao like he's trying to get down and hit his knees and get him to the ground because they tried not blocking him and we saw how that worked so the coaching staff and the team tried to adjust in the fourth quarter and he uh the way I phrased it was he dribbled Bryce Effner like a basketball and then went up and got an interception for a pick six. <laughs> so that's an unbelievable effort. Like that, I don't know. Again, I don't know how you put that on the quarterback when he's trusting his right tackle to do his one eleventh 11th and get that guy on the ground so that there's supposed to be a passing lane there. But there wasn't. So that's what happened. So, if you're asking me, is Sean Clifford responsible for all of them? Yes, he absolutely is. Don't yell at me. I'm done with this conversation. <laughs>
1: After you spend five minutes uh,
2: absolving him. But in the end, it is. Explaining. His fault. Explaining what happened. Like a rational person that doesn't care about Sean Clifford in a way that Penn State fans do. But yes, it's all his fault. You can direct all your hate mail there. Just leave me alone.
1: Well, actually, it is the fair and honest opinion is why we do come to you, T. Frank. And again, with four turnovers, it's difficult to say, gee, there were were good things on the offensive side of the ball, but I think there were. Uh, Tell me about the game plan, because it appeared to be pretty effective.
2: Yeah, so the idea was we don't want JT tula or Zach Harrison to take over the game. So I guess on a fundamental level, that didn't work. But I don't think it was a function of the game plan. The only, the only area I would say that you could, you could pin it on the, the coaches is they threw too many screens. And uh, Ohio State clearly had a beat on that late in the game. But if you can't consistently drop back and throw the football and Ohio State is good at stopping the run, what does that leave you? Like, how many other avenues of uh, play calling do you have? And that was the game plan, was short passes and screens. We're still going to run the ball. We're still going to try and establish that identity throughout the game, but it's going to be short passes and screens to move the football down the field and try to make our receivers carry the water this week, make them break tackles and make big plays. And that worked. Um, you know, it's in conjunction with the defense holding down a team that had scored 40 points, almost 50 points in every single game for most of the afternoon. So the if you look at the game plan in totality, it worked until Ohio State hit the gas in the fourth quarter and um, the defense kind of broke and they had to respond. They had now the game pressure is on. But uh, the running game, Penn State was the more physical team on both sides of the ball. The offense pushed Ohio State around for about three quarters. Um, The running game did dry up in the second half because Penn State was using some new concepts and some new wrinkles uh, to get Ohio State off kilter. There was a lot of inverted running plays, which is where the quarterback is the primary runner and the running back is the option. And that messed a little bit with Ohio State but once Clifford never kept the ball and never really established that threat they were able to clamp down on everything and and play pretty even handed so a lot of the tricks and deception a lot of the screens worked and then despite the issues that they had uh up front uh, <laughs> other than the turnovers i thought the offensive line did great and Sean Clifford when he was under pressure made the right decisions so everything lined up except for the four turnovers uh, and ultimately I think the problem was that they didn't score enough points early in the game for when Ohio State and we'll get into the the defensive side in the ball in a bit once Ohio State adjusted there there wasn't a lot that Penn State was going to be able to do to stop them and that's the reality of that offense against any defense in the country but especially one that didn't have a pass rush on Saturday
1: One thing that's been particularly frustrating with this Penn State offense, and not just this season but over a couple years, is their third and short and fourth and short. And it appears they found something with this T formation, and I was Mm -hmm. really impressed with what they did from it. They didn't do the exact same thing every time. In fact, they shifted out of it, forced Ohio State into a timeout. I went crazy when they actually passed the ball out of that formation, fourth and one, and it worked. The only short yardage situation I had the issue with was the first drive of the second half, fourth and two. It looked like Ohio State just stacked the line of scrimmage, and that play was doomed from the start. And I, well, first of all, you could answer it wasn't it as doomed as I no. thought it was. Number one, and number two, once Sean Clifford gets to the line of scrimmage and sees that, is there anything he could have done, either call a timeout or audible out of the play?
2: Um, so I, I disagree with the assessment that it was it was dead from the start because uh, the whole point of that the whole point of that play is that the tight end and the tackle collapse that side of the line of scrimmage. And then Breton Strange and the other blocker come through and open up a hole for the running back. All of those things happened except that Salim Wormley got beat cleanly. Now, your best run blocker needs to be your best run blocker. And uh, I think it was two of three times that happened, or three of four. I don't remember how many times they used that formation, but it was somewhere in that ballpark. But that one time, like I thought the same thing. In that situation, they needed. I thought they needed to play action or throw out of it, but... Really, the play worked. It's just one guy lost his block and lost his block to the point that uh, it killed the play. That happens sometimes. But they came back and used it again, and it worked. So I can't say that Ohio State beat it and, like, it never worked again. So and I, b- I believe that's correct. I apologize if I don't have that sequencing completely right. But it, my point is it worked more times than it didn't. And, um... I don't think that's a play-calling issue, and I don't think Sean Clifford needed to do anything different. I think Celine Wormley just needed to block his man.
1: One other uh, questionable, and and I get the logic from it, down by uh, two scores, it appeared that Penn State played for the field goal. They ran the ball on second and long, third and long, set themselves up for a field goal. I understand the logic of it, two scores and one of them could be a field goal and they did succeed in getting the field goal however with everything that occurred earlier with Jake Penninger I'm not sure I would have pinned my uh you know confidence on Jake Penninger making an over 40 yard field goal at that point what did you think of the that series of play calls
2: I mean I was surprised given how aggressive James Franklin had been for points but I the point is you need two scores, and um, it's not like you're going to get – even if you get a touchdown, it's not like time and location and all of those things are on your side. So I don't know if, if like the length of the drive necessary to continue on and to try and get the touchdown weighed into that factor at all. This is the, Again, I, I, I struggle with these questions because you're asking me to, to make a decision based on the evidence – of the the things that we're all seeing right and and I think that these are not these are either or decisions these are opinions as much as they are facts and and I, James Franklin going for the three points there I would have tried to get the touchdown first because then you secure the largest amount of points but I also understand you need two drives to come back and you also need to stop so at that point you're in deep water to begin with
1: well let me, let me ask you this and maybe you don't I uh, can't remember this but running the ball on third and long, was that a case where they saw how the defense was playing and said, you know what? We have a shot at popping this for a first down, and if we come up short... We have the field goal as the option. Was there something that the defense showed?
2: I I, I apologize. I don't remember that specific play. It, It was in the time of the game where everything was pretty lost, so I'm doing just base analysis. I'm not doing a deep dive on those plays because it's like the writing was on the wall at that point.
1: Okay, fair enough. That's it for quarter number one and looking at the offense. Quarter number two, we will look at the defense. Stay tuned for that. For daily coverage of the school, team, and place you
0: love. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. Whether it's workstation, server and network installation, problem solving and maintenance, security assessments, or general evaluations, we are your complete IT partner. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T E K results.com. Or call us at 814-206-0000. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at W.R. Hickey and other craft beer retailers.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. As promised, this segment we're going to talk about when Penn State was on the defensive side of the ball. But before we get there, uh, T. Frank, let's revisit the end of our conversation at Q1 on the offensive side. I was asking you about the third and nine call where Penn State ran the ball. Essentially, it looked like they set up for the field goal. My question to you was, Did Ohio State's defense kind of give something that said, run the ball? And it was actually Penn State was looking to convert the first down. Worst case scenario, we pick up some yardage for a field goal. During our break, you took a look at the play. What did you find out?
2: Yeah, I took it to the plague because uh, I gave you a garbage answer that was nonsense. So I wanted to make sure during the break I was able to go back and look at it and give you what I, you know, is a reasonable take on what happened. So. Uh, there's nothing in the formation that really indicates that that should have been a run. Like it wasn't like they had one linebacker in the box or something like that. They weren't set up any differently. I don't think, in fact, I think it was probably a run formation for Ohio state because they do this thing in Jim Knowles' defense where they, they just keep a safety basically at middle linebacker. So they, they have this ability to drop that guy deep immediately and then have him play run defense at the same time. So it's a balanced formation, but this came after the JT Two LaMolly strip sack. And I just believe that that Penn State was in position for points, and they didn't want to expose the football to another turnover. So instead of in third and long, dropping back and passing, they thought they could surprise with a counter and run for the first down. And if not, they're still getting themselves into field goal position. So they needed two scores. They were trying to avoid a catastrophe that would fully knock them out of the game, and that didn't happen until the next drive. Um, so they prevented it for... At least one more play.
1: Pushed it off. All right, let's go to the other side with Penn State on the defensive side of the ball. A week ago, T. Frank, I know I chatted with you about this and the other guys. If Penn State, you don't stop everything Ohio State does. So do you take that gamble? Let's stop the run. We'll allow our very good defensive backs to show their stuff and gamble on that. Now, on the surface, the thought is it looked like Penn State stopped the run, but they didn't necessarily stack the box, did they?
2: No. So this was kind of what I didn't know coming into the game. Like, with the situation you just set up, what was the choice going to be? And the added layer of that is that if there's one system that Manny Diaz seems to defend well and better than others so far, it is zone running. Um, Now... This is all shaded by the Michigan game and how that game was so very specifically a total disaster from a run defense and schematic perspective. But this is one of those things when you say Penn State matches up better with Ohio State, they play this system better than they play other systems that use power and man and gap blocking. So Penn State did a great job because they don't have to exchange gaps here. And that's kind of the basis of this is in zone in zone blocking, um, there's no pulling linemen, so you don't have to have your linebackers exchanging the gap they were in for the gap they need to go to. So everything stays simple, it stays fast and clean, and it stays in front of you. So Tyler Elsden can run downhill. And uh, Jonathan Sutherland can fill in from out in space and fill into his gap quickly. And you don't have to adjust on the fly. And Penn State gambled, I would say, in this area of not stacking the box and playing with physicality and tenacity up front. And that worked. And Ohio State saw them in what is a too deep shell. So if you watch how teams play Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen or any of these quarterbacks, Justin Herbert for a while, they'll just sit in too deep coverage and say, you're not throwing the football. I don't care what else happens in this game. You're not going to throw the football. And that was the treatment that Penn State gave uh, Ohio State. And Ryan Day, his decision for most of the game was to try and run Penn State out of that. Trying to get too many yards on the ground so that Penn State had to drop a safety into the box. And it didn't work. Like It just didn't work at any point until they changed what they were doing in the fourth quarter. It got... Um, CJ Stroud into third and long situations. It got them into uh, situations where Penn State had the upper hand uh, in terms of allowing their pressure packages and the distance of the down markers to influence what the final play was on third down, and it just created an environment where Penn State had the advantage on defense all day. The other thing they were doing is another way they wanted to attack Penn State was the screen game where they would try the numbers situation where we're going to have three receivers out in the flat And uh, if you have two guys covering them, we're going to throw the football there and we're going to let our athletes run. But again, Penn State was the more physical team. The defensive backs, they were aggressive, they were tenacious, and they tackled. They didn't miss tackles. And so Ohio State, for most of the day, did not have any offense that was consistent and cohesive. And it was kind of Manny Diaz tricking Ryan Day into shooting himself in the foot. So it it was a brilliant scheme trying to overcome a talent deficiency across the board, and it worked for 51 minutes. Well, let's talk about that
1: last nine minutes. What struck me, T. Frank, is not just the ease with which Ohio State marched the ball down the field late in the game, but it looked like Penn State was unprepared for this uh, pretty much hurry-up Ohio State offense. It was as if they had never seen it before.
2: So you get one play... So first off, it's three plays. It's three total plays. Um, so you have one play that had happened all game, which was Marvin Harrison for 25 yards. And then you get another play. It's a quick strike, and it's a 10-yard a, a comeback route. And then let's just stop there for a second and say the change was Ohio State is throwing the ball down the field. Anytime they threw the ball down the field, they had success. So they just weren't doing that enough in the game in my estimation. Then what happened on the third play is Jonathan Sutherland didn't get his gap, and Travion Henderson is faster than Jair Brown. Plain and simple. Like, there was a gap. Travion Henderson took that gap, and then he ran by everybody for a 44-yard touchdown. So it's not that they weren't prepared. It's that they were incapable of stopping two of those plays, and the third one, Jonathan Sutherland did what he has been – want to do at times, which is get on the wrong side of his guy, come in, fill in late, and and be out of position. And when you do that against Ohio State, they had been gap sound all day. The only time they had two or three plays where they weren't, but they were able to, because of the structure of the defense, rally and tackle. The other team is gonna score points. The other team, especially one that has one of the best offenses in the country, is going to find a workaround. This was I don't want to say this was inevitable but it was a high probability that eventually if Ohio State was down or the game pressure was on them, they were going to throw the football. And when they did, the biggest problem was Penn State did not have a pass rush that could get to C.J. Stroud. And that's what we saw. Really, that's what we saw late in the game, is that they could throw the ball with impunity, and there was nobody to stop them.
1: All right, uh, let's get to a specific play. We talked earlier when Penn State had the ball, settled for the field goal but they got within one score, they were six points down, and they actually forced Ohio State into a third and long. It was third and ten, and it was about as easy a pitch and catch from Stroud to Harrison, and watching the game live, I saw this, and then I watched it on tape to be sure I saw it correctly, Penn State's DBs were playing so soft on this play. This was Joey Porter Jr. on Harrison, and Joey Porter Jr. was giving him like a nine-yard pad there where yeah. anything in front of him was an easy pitch and catch to Harrison, and then it was as if Joey Porter had like a one-yard margin to have to make the tackle to beat the 10 yards in the first down. To to me, it just looked way too easy and Joey Porter Jr. was set up to fail, T. Frank. What did you see on that
2: play? So they've used this formation a couple of times, I think going back to the Michigan game, um, where they they got tired of getting picked, essentially is what it is. That that With the aggressive style of that front seven and how they've got everybody in every gap and they're getting a free runner at the quarterback, they needed a way to keep the receivers from um, breaking tackles and getting out into space. So... The first iteration of this from what I saw is what we, what you described of we're going to get the pressure and then our guys are going to trigger downhill and they're going to get the tackle. And that didn't, that didn't work either. So what, what was supposed to happen in this game is what happened at the end of the half. And I'll describe it how it's supposed to work and then what ha- actually happened later, which is Chop Robinson was supposed to drop – drops into a zone on that play. So he fakes going after the quarterback – so that the tackle is occupied, and then he drops into his zone and makes the quarterback hold the football because he's taking away that slant, that easy completion. Um, and that's why C.J. Stroud double-pumped, double, double pumped and he was sacked, fumbled, and the quarter ended. So that's the idea of we're going to force you to hold the football. The issue was the other two times they did it, one, Adisa Isaac and Deny Dennis Sutton were the droppers. Um, those guys are not the same player as Chop Robinson. They don't have the same athletic ability to drop in space and do it quickly and efficiently. So that's, a, that's an issue. Um, and then two, DeWad Jones, especially the right tackle, was physically holding them in place. So they fake the rush, he grabs them, and then they can't drop. So it is wide open, and it looks like the dumbest thing you've ever seen. Um, so it, it's a function of both. Of I still don't think it's a great plan because you're asking guys that are not naturally dropping into space all the time to do it, and then secondarily, I will say the the corners have to be a little more aggressive there. I understand you don't want to get beat for a double move, but you have to trigger downhill in those situations because it's just like you said, when it all doesn't work, it's an easy first down and clearly based on the number of times they've done it it's not a good enough formation that it's going to work more times than it's not
1: and i noticed one other play on the first half Penn State didn't pay for it but in that last drive before the half Ohio State had a 4th and 6 and the DBs were literally 12 yards it's off the same the exact play
2: same exact play and again Deny Dennis Sutton was supposed to drop into coverage there and Adisa Isaac was supposed to drop into coverage there and they didn't get to their zones so they're supposed to that's that's a that's a pick six opportunity or that's a that's an interception opportunity for a defensive end or some other you know you make the quarterback hold the ball and then he gets sacked. But those guys never got to their zones. They never impeded the pass. So it's it's not a great formation. It's one of the few things in this game that I think Manny Diaz it didn't it wasn't good. Well, and then you never know though if that lineman could get back he could deflect a
1: pass, and an interception could happen. I've heard that's happened on occasion, <laughs> T.
2: Frank. Yeah, I, I've get heard a five-star. <laughs> get, get some five-stars, and then you'll be good. And I know Deny's not that type of five-star, but yeah, get more of them.
1: All right, that is it for quarter number two. Let's go to quarter number three, where we're going to take your questions, and we're going to ask T. Frank.
3: New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in Central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, Newtrail produces a variety of year-round brands, as well as weekly experimental recipes. And next time you're watching the game with friends or by the campfire, pick up the Newtrail Hoppy Variety Pack. Newtrail's Hoppy Pack is an absolute crowd Packed with four different hoppy beers, it's sure to please everyone.
0: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in Central Pennsylvania, and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at WR Hickey and other craft beer retailers. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff
1: Show. It is quarter number three. I'm Jim Galante, along with T. Frank Carr. Since it is quarter number three, You know what time it is. It's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we take your questions. We ask them of T. Frank. At the end of the segment, we'll pick out the best question. I say we. Actually, T. Frank picks out the best question. And you will win a prize pack from our good friends at New Trail Brewing. Great prize. You ready to go, T. Frank?
2: Sure. I can't wait to answer 15 questions about Sean Clifford and Drew Aller.
1: All right. Well, it's not necessarily every question, but the first (laughs) one is. (laughs) I knew it. it. Let's start with South Carolina Bob, who gives his hometown as Berwick. So this I know Bob, he's from Berwick, currently resides in South Carolina, hence South Carolina Bob. Should we allow Drew Aller alternate quarters or possessions— In the remaining games, would it not be an enticement for transfers, recruits, as well as our current roster to get a solid dose of what's ahead? There is no reason not to let him play at least the first quarter since we never score anyway. And he leaves it with his final note is, tell Jimmy that mom says hi. There's an inside joke there that I'm not going to get into, T. Frank. Let's talk about Drew Aller playing him going forward, what should the plan be?
2: Sure, let's do it. Let's definitely play a freshman quarterback uh, every other series for the rest of the year and see how that goes. And then when Penn State loses three of these games and you go, this coaching staff is incompetent and blah, 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 then we're in a different situation. But at least you got to see Drew Aller. Jim, I don't know. Like, this is in any other world any other situation with any other quarterback that would be crazy talk but because it's James Franklin and because it's Penn State and because apparently Penn State fans don't respect a 10 and 2 record anymore we're here but if you told the players again this is this is an interesting thing if you told the players in the locker room that you were doing this because um we want to get ready for next year and I I don't know how the locker room feels about Drew Aller I don't know how they feel about Sean Clifford at this point. I, I just don't know. So don't ask me to like, read the minds of these players that are going through this because that's not, they'll never tell us the honest truth. And if they did privately, that you know, my point here is that if you told the players we're going to play Drew Aller and we're going to get ready for next year, but you also tell them I need you to sacrifice and go through pain and suffering because we need to win these games, you're telling them two separate things. You're telling them this year doesn't matter for us, but it does for you. And there's no quicker way, in my mind, to lose your locker room and lose, you know, all these players' belief in you that what you're saying is true, that they, they can't trust you anymore. That, yeah, we're going we're gonna to play for next year, except for you have to play for this year because we still don't want to win these games. I, I just think that that is a bad place to be, and it's one that we've been for two years with fans that don't want to see Sean Clifford because they just don't want to see Sean Clifford.
1: I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here, and let me start by saying I'm the guy from the start of the season had said until you have at least your third loss, you have so much to play for. A double-digit win season, 10 wins, New Year's Day bowl, and those are all important. But if playing, I believe some of these freshman quarterbacks are coming in much better prepared than they were years ago. The other part of this is, what is your fear in playing the freshman? Are you afraid he's going to make big mistakes? Are you afraid that he might go into a game and make oh, I don't know, four turnovers? Mm-hmm. God forbid that happens cuz you know it can't happen with your 6th year senior quarterback, right? Being a little I was say, am I there, to obviously.
2: <laughs> we spent 10 minutes but... <laughs> talking about the turnovers. So I'm like, I don't I, do we want to do that segment again? <laughs> well, I I guess uh, my
1: question to you, Frank, and you don't have to answer it, my take on it is would it be great harm to play the freshman more than you have because it, are you so sure that he's going to be worse than Sean Clifford? Are you so sure he's going to make the mistakes that were going to lose you some games when the fact is your core, current quarterback – does seem to have a tendency to make those kind of mistakes, make those turnovers that can be costly also. Just just food for thought there. Let's move on. Let's get to our next question. Let's go to... Uh, uh,
2: here's, a, here's one rhetorical ahead. question for you. Can Drew Aller play right tackle? Because that would solve a lot of problems. <laughs> Not to be
1: snarky again, but Drew Aller's a pretty big kid. <laughs> Yeah, at right tackle, there's been uh, some mistakes made there also.
2: Yeah, he's only fifty well, pounds if, off.
1: If I'm gonna be snarky again, <laughs> I'm not. I, I, exactly, and I think that is one of the things that hasn't happened for Sean Clifford in among the fan base to understand that the other issues are going on with him also. I think. Um, at T. Frank, he also suffers from the Will Levis situation, which Penn State fans spent the entire offseason hearing that Will Levis is going to be not only a first round draft pick, but potentially the number one pick in the draft. And the Penn State coaching staff selected Sean Clifford over a guy who might be the number one pick in the draft. Sean Clifford is wearing that also, don't you think?
2: Sure. Uh, I I don't I, I don't think so just because like I don't I don't care about such things, but I don't know. Will Levis has 1700 yards, 13 touchdowns and eight interceptions, including three last week in the biggest game of the season. So, neither guy is great
1: let's go to brian in hartwell georgia who says despite the outcome i thought our coaching staff put together a great game plan and blueprint for how to beat ohio state the new wrinkles on offense with the t formation really seemed to keep their defense off balance how would you rate our overall game plan and coaching effort on this one
2: i thought it was <laughs> i thought it was really good this is the thing coming out of this game is, like, people are going to look at two things. Sean Clifford, fourth quarter collapse. But they were that, in my opinion, and and maybe this changes it because this game exposed some problems that Ohio State's offensive line is not, uh, has not taken a massive step forward as a run-blocking unit, and Penn State was able to stop them for the majority of the game. But this was the, one of the most balanced Ohio State teams I've seen in a long time. Their run defense is good. Their coverage is is complex, and I think that's the area that you can attack them, and Penn State showed that. You know, we, we talk about Sean Clifford, and he was throwing the ball accurately downfield against this Ohio State unit and getting chunk plays. I didn't think that with the pass rush that was going to be possible. Then on the other side of the ball, this is the most dangerous offense in America, and they were able to hold that offense to, uh, what was it, 16 points through m- the majority of the game. And, and it doesn't matter, because 28 points, fourth quarter, checkmate, shut up, nerd on, on the radio. But at the same time, I thought the game plan to get them to that point was well above what they were capable of. I did not think that they would be in that situation. And they found a way to work around their deficiencies on offense for the majority of the game. And they found a way to uh, force Ohio State to do dumb things throughout the game. So the game plan... I came without feeling very good about what Penn State did. So I agree with Brian that that was a good game plan that nearly worked. But Ohio State had better players. There's no Marvin Harrison Jr. on Penn State's roster. There's no JT Tulamoliau on Penn State's roster. And those problems were ultimately the, the deciding factor in this game.
1: All right, let's go to Sean in Somerset who says... How bad should I feel when I see Jonathan Sutherland playing instead of Abdul Carter in the fourth quarter against Ohio State with the game on the line?
2: Um, I'm I'm officially out on Jonathan Sutherland. Uh, he's directly, you know, I, I hate doing this, but he... He was out of position, and Trayvon Henderson scored a touchdown that did not need to happen. He was also the re- recipient of that reception on the previous play that gave them another 11 yards and set up the the situation where they were able to continue going no huddle. So uh, Carter has shown he's smart, instinctive. He's learning. He's getting better. So I think they, they can go to big base and have that be their regular package all the time because they, their sub-package already features both of their best linebackers in Carter and in uh, in Curtis Jacobs. So just sub-package yourself through the season. I, I'm officially off of that bandwagon because he was holding his own for a little bit, but it's not working anymore. Just a quick note. Uh, I'm looking at this from PFF.
1: Abdul Carter played more than twice as many snaps as Jonathan Sutherland in the game. Again, yeah. you could debate <laughs> with the game on the line, all of that. Uh, Let's go to Matt in Harper's Ferry, who says, Okay, I am not excited about the loss. However, Franklin and his staff seem like they are taking a step this season. I feel like clock management and preparation have improved. Do you feel like Franklin and his staff are taking a step forward, or am I just being too optimistic?
2: I think the offense is evolving and I think that Mike Yersich in real time is figuring out the personnel and you'd, you'd hope that it would have been sooner, but this was a huge learning curve for him. And that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago uh, is that this is in what he was brought in to do is something entirely different from what he's done his entire career. And the fact that his creativity through the formations and everything is coming through. Yeah. I, I think that's a step. Um, Game management, clock management, all that stuff. I've read that it was terrible, and I've read that it was fine. So I don't pay attention to clock management. I do X's and O's and the things on the football field that happen when the the ball is snapped. Um, So I don't know if that's cop-out or not, but I think that, yes, I would say that the defensive game plan and the offensive game plan have evolved and have improved over time, and you're seeing that happen with these two... Uh, offensive and defensive staff. So I I agree with that.
1: And I don't have time for another question. I'll just make a comment, and you could react to it if you want to. But I think a lot of times—coaches are very stubborn guys often. I think whenever I see a coach adjust or adapt in season, in game, which it's obvious that this offense has, and I'll again point at those third and short, fourth and short, the T formation, what they're starting to do off of it— And even the change in concepts with the running game, it does feel like, at the very least, Mike Yursich is adapting as as the season goes on, T. Frank, which is, I think, a high compliment for a coach.
2: Well, think about where they were to begin with. They were only running, or they were running the majority of the time, these condensed formations with three tight ends, you know, tight receivers and suddenly we haven't we've seen that maybe once or twice in the last two games because teams figured out how to stop that so they pivoted they use the same plays and they're going in a different direction that's great that i think yes i think that's smart football and that's the way you stay ahead of things
1: very good t frank stick around in quarter number four t frank is going to announce our winner stay tuned for that For daily coverage of the school, team, and place you
0: love. We are Tech Results, located right here in State College. Whether it's workstation, server and network installation, problem solving and maintenance, security assessments, or general evaluations, we are your complete IT partner. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T E K results.com. Or call us at 814-206-0000. Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by New Trail Brewing Company. New Trail beers are brewed right here in Central Pennsylvania and delivered fresh and cold to your favorite retailers every week. When you're in Happy Valley, be sure to find New Trail at W.R. Hickey and other craft beer retailers.
1: Welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. I'm Jim Galante along with T. Frank Carr. Just a reminder for you, a couple home games are still left on the schedule. A couple interesting games with Maryland and Michigan State. If you're still looking for a way to enjoy those game weekends and a place to stay in Happy Valley, don't forget about gopsurv.com. It's where you drive your car there to Happy Valley. An RV is all set up, ready, and waiting for you. It's a great way to spend the weekend. You tailgate from Friday through Sunday. It's a lot of fun. You even get a ride to the game so you don't have to worry about the hassles of parking. And even better yet, call Mark at 800-519-8467. Tell them you want the KSN RV special, which means you get $500 off for your weekend. You can't beat that. Yeah, a lot of fun there. All right, T. Frank, we need a winner from our quarter number three Ask T. Frank segment. Who do you got?
2: Well, I liked Brian and Matt. They both had a great question. It was also the same question, so just I'm going to go by Brian came first. So Brian and George is our winner.
1: There you go. Brian, we'll be getting in touch with you. You will get the new Trail Beer prize pack. So look for my email. If you don't get my email, send me an email. Remember, we've had some email issues here. Okay, T. Frank, we did a lot of Ohio State, Penn State talk. Got Indiana coming up. It's a question about can this team bounce back after a loss? at least they've got a fairly soft landing spot here with
2: Indiana,
1: I think. Yeah. How concerned should we be about playing Indiana at Indiana?
2: I mean, so – Full disclosure, as always, early in the week when we record, I am just wrapping up Ohio State. I have not dug into Indiana. But I've seen enough Indiana over the years to know that Tom Allen's defense is always going to be a frustrating one to throw against. They do things in the secondary that nobody else does, and I include Jim Knowles in that. You know, Structurally, Jim Knowles does some weird things of placing certain body types and certain players in certain positions so that they can disguise coverage better than anybody I've seen. Tom Allen will take a guy from the line of scrimmage and drop him into a deep free safety position. Like, some of the wackiest things I've seen. He'll invert coverages that have no business being inverted, and he'll do it to confuse the quarterback, and they're really good at it. So, that is a structural thing. Um, I also know that they're pretty good at stopping the run earlier in the season when I watched them against Michigan. One of the reasons I thought Penn State could play with Michigan was if, if Indiana can stop the run against this team... Penn State should be able to do the same. Now, obviously, uh, that was in one very narrow sense of between the tackles, and Indiana did not have the athletes to stay with Blake Corum because he's one of the best running backs in America. But Penn State has some similar qualities that they could do the same stuff with, but it's going to require Catron Allen to be able to read and bounce because this is a very disciplined defense, and it's a defense that usually doesn't make a ton of mental mistakes. You just have to beat them physically which is entirely possible. That is something that they can do, that Penn State should be able to do.
1: You brought up an interesting point about Indiana and how he plays defense in ways that if you're a team like Indiana who doesn't recruit the same kind of athletes, the same kind of size and speed, defensively one of the routes you could take is to fool the offense and specifically fool the quarterback without getting into that uh, Sean Clifford, Drew Aller rabbit hole that we could always do, where the casual fan might say, hey, it's Indiana. What a great opportunity to put the freshman in. May not, at least from what you're saying to me, it sounds like Indiana may not be the best place to throw uh, a true freshman to the Wolves.
2: Yeah, that, that's and that's kind of been the thing for a bit now of you don't know what, so we on the outside do not know what Drew Aller struggles with. Um, we don't have a lot of information about even-handed situations and the mistakes he makes when he shouldn't be m- making them, right? So uh, this would be a situation Tom Allen against a freshman quarterback would be a problem in my mind. But that is, James Franklin talked about this this year, is like he hasn't seen everything. So he hasn't seen coverages that uh, are unique, and, and he's seeing them secondhand, through the game film and watching Clifford do it and having um, you know just the experience of being in college football but he's not physically out there throwing the football and making the decisions so learning all this information in year one is the point of the red shirt or the point of not playing him so that when he's ready to do it himself he's seen it at least once any defense Greg uh, Schiano is a good defensive coach too like he could throw something at uh, Drew Aller that he's never seen before. So yeah, that's that's exactly right. The last four games, you're not guaranteed to win them just because on paper you're supposed to win them. These are the in these are the game plan matchup specific factors that go into each game. And with a freshman quarterback, for me, it's a wild card. I, I have no idea what to expect. I can't do any analysis on that. I'm I'm learning with you. So when people ask me predict this, I don't know. Drew, Drew's a really strong armed quarterback who seems to have a good head on his shoulders. But what level of depth of all of that stuff? Like, Sean Clifford has struggled against this defense routinely throughout the years. And, you know, maybe Drew wouldn't, but maybe he would.
1: Let's take a look at Penn State's running game, not just specifically against Indiana, but overall. It seems like we've now established this is almost out of attrition. They're the guys that are left. Uh, Singleton and Catron Allen, and we even had Catron Allen starting, and was probably the more effective back yeah. against Ohio State. But it does seem like we've got the two-headed monster. I'm pretty happy the way they're playing the two. Do you notice though any difference in like the play calling for one ver- one of them versus the other? T Frank in how the yeah. coaches are handling them.
2: Uh, I think this, maybe this is just last week specifically, but in general, outside of the early season where we talked about those condensed formations and some of the things that Singleton was doing, um, Catron Allen has been better at gap blocking and reading and then reacting than Singleton has. So Singleton has been more lately... You know, kind of in, in zone schemes, which is not something he was good at before. You know, that was something new to him. But it was something that he, you know, is a little bit more familiar of read and run. You know, the one cut thing. Catron Allen's vision and his ability to find the open hole. He plays better. He plays good in either scheme. But he does. They did give him a couple more opportunities and some gap stuff. And he was able to uh, hit a big run on on some of those plays. Uh, But to me, more than anything, I think he's proven that this should be his team until somebody else takes the ball away from him. Because his consistency, his tackle breaking, and he doesn't have the game breaking stuff, but it's not like last year where he is generating offense routinely. And he's generating offense outside the structure of the play sometimes where he's breaking tackles, getting to the second level, and maximizing every single yard that he can. Singleton is a great football player, but he's not there yet with his running style. Where he has a very specific style, and he needs a couple more things to happen for him in the weight room, in my opinion, before he's able to churn his legs and break tackles consistently to have that violent momentum never stop. Because that's his his style of running. He needs a little bit more weight in his lower body to make that happen. And I know that that's unpopular, that people think he's a freak because he's 217, and he is. He is, like, this is something we got to understand. Like, both are true. He is very strong, and he's going to be stronger. So just prepare yourself for that.
1: And this isn't meant as disrespect to Nick Singleton, but that fourth and one at the goal line where Catron Allen scored, he was hit yeah. in the field of play behind the line of scrimmage. I'm not sure Nick Singleton scores a
2: touchdown on that play. That's kind of what I'm talking about exactly. That was the play that I watched that was like, okay, uh, Fat Man needs the ball more often because his ability to slide through contact and to just kind of slough it off, it's its different. It's the stuff on his film that you saw in high school. You're like, wow, that looks like that could be great. And so far, it's been pretty great.
1: One of the things we've talked about Penn State with their quarterback situation, I know you haven't... Uh really prepped the Indiana film. But it appears that Indiana has a quarterback controversy also. It's debatable about who is going to start there. When you're Penn State's defense preparing, unless you're going from a real, hey, this guy's the running quarterback, this guy's the throwing quarterback, how much difference does it really make for a defense to prepare for a couple different quarterbacks?
2: So just looking at some numbers here. So this is me. This is my cheat code is I'm just going to go look at the PFF numbers under pressure. Connor uh, Blazelik has thrown four interceptions and uh, he has a completion percentage of 34%. So that's what Manny Diaz is going to do. He didn't, and, and the other quarterback, I, I don't see any data on him specifically, but that's, that falls into their game plan anyway. So I think it's more about Penn state and what Penn state wants to do than it is about the, the quarterbacks. Cause again, As far as I can tell, and again, I I hate talking blindly, but uh, Dave McCulley has one attempt. So I don't know that there's anything you can really glean from one attempt to build a different game plan on.
1: And the other quarterback, I think, is this Tuttle that they've talked about may get get the start or get to play. Yeah, that's a receiver throwing
2: a pass. Never mind. My bad. See, this is is why I don't like doing this.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the, the fascinating little fact is, Tuttle, I guess, is staying with the team, even though he has already entered the portal.
2: Okay. Well, that's how their season is going.
1: <laughs> I don't know if, get, you know, you could enter the portal, but still be with your team, and he can still choose to return, so yep. I don't know if playing him is actually the coach lobbying for the guy to return or not, so so that that's an interesting little thing. Now, again, acknowledging that you haven't watched much tape on Indiana, It's a 14-point spread. I hate picking against the spread. But I will ask you, with everything you've seen now from Penn State leading up to this game, do you have any predictions on something to look for on the Penn State, either Penn State offensively or defensively, which we as fans should be looking for?
2: Uh, I I would say that I now trust this offense. So I came into the Ohio State game saying, I don't know that I trust this offense because they haven't proven to be consistent against quality opponents. And and I thought that was a quality effort against a very good opponent on Saturday. So unless they've gone into the tank mentally, this team should put up points. And I I think this should be... A 14-point win for Penn State just because of what I've seen from them on film of individually what they do. The running game is working better. They have creative solutions. The passing game is working better. And uh, and Sean Clifford has decided he's going to throw the football down the field and trust Parker Washington in contested catch situations. That's a game changer. That's something that we've needed him to do in that evaluation all season long to get to see more out of those players. And I think they're doing that now.
1: Very good, but that is it for our show. Thank you, T. Frank, and thank you all for listening, and be sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show.
3: New Trail Brewing Company proudly crafts their beers right here in Central Pennsylvania. Brewed with only the best possible ingredients, New Trail produces a variety of year-round brands, as well as weekly experimental recipes. And next time you're watching the game with friends or by the campfire, pick up the New Trail Hoppy Variety Pack. New Trail's Hoppy Pack is an absolute crowd Packed with four different hoppy beers, it's sure to please everyone.